0: thank the worship team this morning for the wonderful worship that they've led us in. Amen. It's always a joy, and the songs are uh, obviously from the heart. I <clears throat> appreciate that. And the opportunity to be able to be a part of that is such a wonderful blessing. This morning, we will uh, close chapter 2 of 1 John. And um, I wanted to kind of introduce it in the same way that we talked, we introduced last week. You, if you were here last week with us, you were, um, we became familiar with the fact that uh, there's adversaries in our world today. And the scriptures call them antichrists. Uh, those who are opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ are seeking to destroy the things that he wishes, uh, is seeking to accomplish. And, and we know that we're able to be victorious. Um, by holding on to two things, by holding on to the Word of God, being uh, in tune with what the Scripture says, which always is going to always going to keep us from falling into error. Uh, but in addition to that, being close to the Holy Spirit and uh, making sure that we're walking in the Spirit consistently. The Scripture says, as long as you're walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Um, you will not you will not be prone or distracted into um folly. And um, it's very, very important that we not only be in tune with the Word of God, but we be in tune with the teacher. and And he is the Holy Spirit. He is teaching us uh, that which is right, explaining to us what the scripture says. One thing I also mentioned last week that I think is valuable and important to introducing this week's message is that although we know that there is an enemy and he is very powerful, a matter of fact, the Antichrist and the devil are more powerful than any human being, um, there's no humanity that has more strength or power than they do, which is the reason why we do not fight um, with carnal uh, armor, right? We, we fight with uh, spiritual warfare, and uh, we fight with the Word of God, and we fight with uh, the Spirit of God, and we, those are our weapons, if you will, by which we overcome and defeat the devil. So we don't need to be afraid as Christians. Um, Matthew actually tells us that it's impossible for us to fall away, so if you're a believer this morning, it's impossible for you to fall away into error. And the danger is, is there are people in our world today who claim to be Christians who even believe that they're Christians and ultimately end up falling away. So there is, a, there is, a, um, there is a, a challenge here in this passage of Scripture that we should be on guard. We should always be studying God's Word again and being connected to the Spirit so that we don't fall away from the truth and fall away from grace In these two verses this morning, John introduces the judgments, and he introduces one judgment. We're going to talk about both of them uh, briefly, but as an introduction, what I wanted to say is this, that um, in light of the judgments that are coming, we have nothing to be afraid of, okay? It's so important that we understand that. Um, we cannot look at the judgments that are coming, and there, there are two of them that are coming at the end of, t- end of time. If you're a believer, you have nothing to fear, and you have nothing to be afraid of. The judgment that you will face is not a judgment that the lost world will face. A matter of fact, fearing in relation to these judgments is a sign, is symbolic of somebody who is not A believer. A lot of people, and again, a lot of religious movements today, are, are driving home this idea of fear, and they're getting people to make decisions, and they're getting people to, to go certain directions because they're afraid if they go the wrong direction that God's going to, you know, God's going to come down with his wrath on them, and, and, and that motivation of fear is not a biblical motivation for us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and John tells us in John 14 and 15 as well, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the foundation for our, for our obedience to Christ is not that we're afraid. A Matter of fact, I would submit to you that there's a lot of people who quote unquote get saved because they're afraid. And their salvation is no more than a selfish way of keeping themselves out of the consequences for their sins. They have absolutely no love for God they have no uh, desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, other than the fact that they know that if I commit these sins, God up in heaven is going to, going to crush me for doing it. And so their, their, their mode, motivation for being saved is, is, is 100% selfish. And we know, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number one, that the motivation for salvation is not selfish. It's very selfless. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians one, that the reason why God saves people is for his it's for his glory. And that's, the, that's the foundation for the reason why we get saved. So let, let me read to you. Um, if you've you you got your hand in 1 John 2, just look to, your, to the right of 1 John 2 in chapter number 3. And I'm going to read a few verses here, then we'll go back to our text. The Bible says in verse 16, 1 John 3, By this we, l- we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we also might lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Um, let's see here. That is not the passage of Scripture that I was looking for. Let me see here if I can find it. Chapter 4. I was only one chapter away. Thank you for your grace this morning. The same passage here. The Bible says in verse 17 By this love is love perfected with us, so that we might have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In other words, as we've seen the flow of the text in First John, those who love God are those who have been saved, and and He's making a distinction here between those who f- perhaps follow out of fear and those who follow because they have been perfected in love in the love of Christ. And so he says, perfect love casts out fear. We love because he first loved us. We go back to our text in verse 28 and 29 of chapter number 2. John says, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. The, the phrase, at his coming, is also used by Paul uh, to Timothy in, in um, 2 Timothy to describe the Lord Jesus Christ at his, what we would call, the rapture of the church. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, and he's going to rapture his church, and um, Paul describes it as uh, that those who will receive a crown of life or a crown of righteousness who love his appearing. Or they they love it when Jesus Christ appears to to rapture his church. And here it's using the same phrase. He says, at his coming, or at the Lord Jesus Christ's coming, there will be some who will shrink back in shame, and there will be some who will have confidence. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So what I want to do this morning is spend some time unpacking this idea of of the judgment that we will call the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll explain what that means here in just a moment. But there are are two judgments, two end-time judgments mentioned in Scripture. Turn with me to the book of Revelation and uh, chapter number 20. As we go through Scripture this morning, I encourage you just to, if you can, follow along. If, if not, just listen, because we're going to move from Scripture to Scripture and, uh, and try to unpack this, this truth for you. In Revelation chapter 20, there's the reference to what we know of as the great white throne of judgment. This is the last judgment. This is following the Lord Jesus Christ's millennial reign on the earth. This is just preceding... The new heavens and the new earth, and this is after the great resurrection, and all um, of the world at this moment will be standing before God for judgment. Now, what we want to understand as well is that those who are believers will not be standing before God at this moment to be judged, but they'll be standing before God as witnesses to the judgment that the Lord is about to bring forth Again, this is known as the the Great White Throne of Judgment, and I'll read for you in verse eleven. And I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the the dead were judged by what was written in this book, according or in these books or the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were, within, with, were in it. Death and hell, or Hades, gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is known again as the great white throne of judgment, all of mankind who is lost will stand before God on this day. Their, their lives will be judged according to their works. And the ultimate end of this judgment is the eternal condemnation. They will be cast into a lake of fire, where they'll, uh, according to other texts in Revelation, where they will suffer for eternity, ultimately seeking to pay the penalty for their sins, but never being able to satisfy God's wrath towards their sins. We want to remember that um, one of the key one of the key characteristics to understand about um, God's eternal wrath, why God causes people to suffer eternally, and we would think that there would be some point where it would kind of end, right? Where we would say it's done. You know, I've fully satisfied um, the penalty for my sins. But what's interesting is is that the reason why is it eternal? It is eternal, is because man can never satisfy God's wrath towards their sins. It is an impossibility. So they must suffer forever and ever seeking to satisfy God's wrath in which they will never be able to satisfy it. This is what makes hell so horrible and this is what makes hell so long. But this is what happens when we sin against a holy God. This is what happens when we sin against a perfectly righteous and just God. And those who are not saved this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith, given your life to Christ, if you've never done that, you are in danger of facing the judgment that I've just spoken about. Fear should be associated with your facing this judgment. Okay? This judgment, however, has nothing at all to do with believers, Believers will not be judged at this moment. Believers will be judged prior to this. And this is known as the judgment seat of Christ. And this is where we're going to, this is what John is speaking of here in this text. The judgment seat of Christ, also known by many as the Bema seat, which means a raised seat, an elevated platform. Um, it, it uh, if you can imagine in your, if you can imagine in your mind the the Olympic stand, you have first place, second place, third place, and I may be a fourth and fifth place. I'm not sure how all that works, but the bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ is a, it was a a term that was used to describe an, an award ceremony. Okay, the judgment seat of Christ is going to be an awards ceremony. It's not going to be what many have presented it. If, if you don't live for God uh, all, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, even though you're saved and you stand before God on judgment day, you're going to get it for all those things that you did wrong. Listen to me. Jesus got it already. He got it in the cross. There's no getting it for us. The grace of God, we sang about the grace of God. It was so well laid out in all the songs that we sing. The grace of God is all we get to look forward to. We do not look forward to his wrath anymore. We do not have to anticipate his anger towards us if we fail to do this exactly right or fail to do this enough. We don't have to look forward to God's anger. His anger has been satisfied in Christ. Isaiah 53, you're familiar with it. He bore our sins. He took our punishment He paid the price for our sins. The Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, is not a time of judgment for us. It's a time of reward for us. It's a time where God's going to hand out crowns for all the things that we did in in honor to him. In respect for him. Turn with me in your Bibles. We'll look at a few passages of Scripture that refer to this to this uh, Bema seat, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble, each man's work will be manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. You'll notice here the word sort and what kind of work that we've done with our lives. What have, we, what have we given our lives to? What have we committed our lives to? If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The Bible says that those who do work that is, that is valuable, uh, Matthew 6, those who lay up for themselves treasures in heaven, that in the end that will be tested by fire and that um, all that is remaining will be a reward for us, for the labors that we did for Christ, for the treasures that we laid up for him. And we know what fire does to precious jewels, precious metals, is it purifies them, Right? We also know what fire does to wood, hay, and stubble, and it, it destroys it. So, the, so this, this ceremony that's going to be uh, the, the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a ceremony where there are going to be people that are going to be standing before God, and their, and their works are going to be tested, and their works, some of them are, gonna, are going to, their works are going to be completely burned up. Their works are going to be, meaning that nothing that they did was, was, um, was laying up treasures for them in heaven. Now, God's not gonna sit up there and judge them as if they have committed sin, as if they have done wrong, but but the lack of rewards. They will be there and they will will not receive the rewards that that somebody else might receive. They will not get the crowns that somebody else might get. 2 Corinthians chapter number five, if you wanna turn there with me. Verse 9 and 10, the Bible says So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. And this word is somewhat, um, somewhat deceptive because the idea of evil carries with it the idea of sin and we're going to be judged for our sins. But the word, the word literally means to do that which is easy, to do that which is ordinary, to do that which is worthless or useless. It's not the idea of being judged for our sins, it's that, it's that our works, our labors are going to be placed in the fire and they're going to be, they're going to be tested and the things that come out of that are going, to be, are going to be rewards for us for what we have done. And the things that do not, again, that is going to be the, the judgment that is there, that we do not receive a reward. I mean, if, you've ever been in a, if you've ever been in a competition, if you ever competed at any level, you know what it's like to not receive a reward, right? I mean, you don't have to receive a, you know, the, the, at the Olympics, they don't reprimand the person who got 50th place, do they? Matter of fact, it's a pretty great thing that they made it to the it's a pretty good thing that they made it to the Olympics, right? A couple of years ago, my my daughters, they, they competed in state track in Nebraska. And we always encouraged them that they 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 didn't make first place or second place. As a matter of fact, I don't I don't think that they even medaled. They're really mad at me right now, but they <laughs> But we we encouraged them, listen, you made it to state track. And there was no reprimand in that. And They didn't get in the top 10, but they made it and say track. And the judgment seat of Christ is not about whether you make it or don't make it. The judgment seat of Christ is about awards. It's about things, and it's about what we've done with what God has given us. Easy, worthless, ordinary, or slight. I'm not going to go to these passages of Scripture. I'll go to one, if you will, Revelation chapter number 4. If you take some time, you read Revelation 2 and 3, you have the seven churches, okay? And the seven churches are mentioned, and at the end of each one of those churches, the Lord gives them a challenge that they, if they can overcome this challenge, he talks to them about a reward that they get. And then in Revelation chapter number 4, you have this great number of people that are surrounding the throne of God, and they're worshiping him, and they're praising him. I believe this is the church. This is the raptured church. They're, they're, they're honoring and worshiping God for all the things that he has done. And the Bible says in verse number in, number 9, "...and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is created on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him." Who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So there's obviously these, these people around the throne, and they've been given crowns. Um, for the accomplishments, this, I believe, again, is, the, is, is post-judgment seat, where they have received their crowns, and, and they're now casting those crowns at Jesus' feet in recognition of the fact that anything that I've accomplished in this life, okay, he is the one who has accomplished it. It's, it's, a, it's a realization that what good I do isn't good that I have done, It's good that he has done through me. Now, Paul says it very well in um, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10 where he says, um, I'm going to just turn there because I don't want to misquote it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, Paul says, the grace of God By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I labored harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So Paul understood that God's grace made him who he was, and and that wasn't in vain because he worked really, 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 really hard, but the working hard that he worked was actually the Lord working through him. So ultimately, at the end of the day, the crowns that we receive in heaven, the rewards that we receive in heaven are going to be given back to Christ. They're going to be cast at his feet, if you will, before his throne in recognition that every good thing that we've ever accomplished, everything that we've ever done in life was was a gift from him. So there are two judgments to begin with or um, two retributions, if you're taking notes, two retributions or judgments that we are Um, going to experience in the last days. Again, one for believers, one for lost people. One is going to result in condemnation, but one is totally based upon rewards. That's what it is. Back in our text, 1 John chapter 2, the Lord talks about two reactions, two reactions to the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. He says, and when he appears... He says that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. Okay, so at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be those people who are going to respond to his rewarding in confidence. And there's going to be those who respond to his rewarding in shame. Okay, the, the word the Lord uses the word to shrink back here. Okay? You can kind of get a picture here of somebody who has possibly put themselves in the front of the line, right? They they're, they're in it's like, it's like the guy who is standing there, and he got 50th place in the race, but he's waiting to get on the podium to get first place, right? And slowly the names are called out and it's like, okay, Steve is in third place and Jeff is second place and, and Ron is in first place and, and there that person is and they're kind of like, okay, this isn't for me. This is the idea of shrinking back at the judgment seat of Christ. There will be people who will receive an abundance of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ and there will be people who will receive no rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be people who will enter into that, to that event with, with, with possibly a level of pride or arrogance in that moment, thinking that we've done great things for God. And then they begin to recognize and see what other people have done for God, and then they begin to step back and, and, and walk away, understanding what they have done and what they have not done. It, it is so important as we think about the judgment seat of Christ that we think about it from the perspective of humility, that we look at it not from what God owes us or what we deserve or what we've accomplished for him, but what God has done for us and what God has done through us. You'll, you'll appreciate Matthew the end, uh, Matthew 24 and 25. The Lord talks about in the last days or, or talks about... Um, how some have served him by feeding the poor and, and taking care of the lonely and, and, the, and the, the homeless and the naked and, the, and the, um, those without food. And he talks about that and the disciples say, Lord, when do we do this? In other words, the disciples, the believers, their mindset towards all the things that they had done for the Lord was, Lord, when did we do anything for you? And then the other group of people the, the Matthew chapter number seven group of people who say, Lord, we've done this in your name, we've done this in your name, and they expect great things from God, but they will receive, and the Bible even says in, in that context that they will receive his judgment. There will be people at the judgment seat of Christ who will, who will shrink back. They will, they will step back in shame because they will receive very little rewards for the works that they've accomplished. They will receive little rewards, and they will understand that, and they will shrink back in shame. I thought about two things that, um, two reasons why people would shrink back in shame at an award ceremony. One of those would be that they recognize what other people have done. They see the accomplishments of other people, and they, they don't feel as so elevated because they see what others have done, and they, and they receive, them receiving their rewards, but I think possibly more importantly is people will shrink back because they realize what they were capable of doing. I think that's going to be one of the bigger things. I think that's something that we, we, don't, we don't really understand or, or, or comprehend today as what power we have living within us in the Holy Spirit and what we're capable of doing. And when we stand before God one day, it's not going to just be the rewards that he's going to give other people because they've done more than we have or Possibly not, but but the idea as well is this is what we were capable of accomplishing by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be shame because of not accomplishing what others have accomplished and not accomplishing what was possible for us to accomplish. Again, that shame is not judgment. We are still welcomed into God's kingdom. We are still... Recipients of God's grace. We are still loved. He doesn't look down from that podium where he's giving out rewards with a a harsh look at those who didn't do much and a a glorious look at those who did great. His attitude towards us isn't different. His attitude towards us is always grace and always will be Christ, but he he will give out rewards. Or those accomplishments and the things that have been done. Not only will we shrink back because of what others have done and because of what we were capable of doing, but we will also shrink back often because we will realize the attitude by which we did the things that we did. What motivated us to do those, those things? We, oftentimes, we don't realize that even today. We might be doing good things with selfish motivations, with, with a, a, a wrong attitude, And and, and if we do that, we will not receive reward. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number six, he talks about over and over again, those who do things to be seen of men, scripture says that they have their reward. But those who do things in secret, not to be seen of men, the Bible says the Lord will reward them. So our motive is also very important in this idea of not being or being rewarded before the Lord. The Bible talks about in Luke 14, at a wedding feast, when you go to the wedding feast, don't go to the, to the upper seats or to the best seats, right? Lest the master of the house come up and tell you, you're in the wrong place. That'd be pretty embarrassing, wouldn't it? Imagine at the judgment seat of Christ, some of us running to the front of the line saying, I've done much. And the Lord saying, you're in the wrong place. That's the shame that's going to be there. It's not going to be because God is angry with us. But there is going to be a reward time. And there is going to be shame for some because they're going to be they're going to be moved back in the line. He says sit in the back seat and let the master of the house come in the back and say you're in the wrong seat and then move you forward. That's not shame, is it? That results in confidence. And that's the second result or or response to the judgment seat of Christ is confidence. Some will shrink back at the judgment seat because they won't receive much, or they would have had great opportunity or great ability, but have done nothing with it. The others, the Bible says, will, will have confidence at the day of the judgment and this is the idea of boldness. It, it, it means to be outspoken, to be able to be frank and, and blunt, to be sure of oneself, to speak freely. Imagine at the judgment seat of Christ, being able to, to have a freeness to be able to speak to the Lord and be rewarded for the works that we've done. This is only possible if we come with humility, if we are invited to the front of the line and not pushing our way there. Imagine if the Lord stops the ceremony at the great day of judgment and he says, Marlo, I'm trying to use a name that's not here, I used Jeff, Steve, and Ron, and I'm like, those are the other three leaders in the church. Man, that was off the cuff, too. (laughs) Go with Marlo this time. Imagine if the Lord stops the ceremony, and he says, Marlo. Marlo's all the way in the back. And he says, you're in the wrong place. And he brings him forward. Your place is in the front. Can you imagine the confidence that Marlo would have? The boldness, the freeness to speak. That's the confidence that we have. That's the confidence that we have at the judgment seat of Christ if we've done with what he has given us, if we've done something with it. This is a result of God's grace, God working, rewarding for us what he has accomplished in and through us. You'll notice as well and I want to point this out, the Bible says this, abide in him so that when he appears you may have confidence. The foundation for the confidence that we are ha- we're able to have at the judgment seat of Christ is that we have abided in Christ. Means we have we have rested in him. We have have taken confidence in him. We We have gloried in Christ. We are resting in his word. We are resting in his Holy Spirit. We are resting in his gospel. We are resting in his sufficiency. We are resting in his sacrifice. We are resting in his resurrection. We are resting in his righteousness. We are resting in his glory. We are resting in his power and presence in our life. The boldness that we will have at the judgment seat of Christ will come from the fact that we are resting in Christ. You've heard the statement before of, Somebody asked, why should I let you into heaven? And people can give a thousand different reasons. But the, reasons is, the reason that's going to give confidence to the one answering the question is the reason Christ. Christ is the only reason why I should be allowed into heaven. Romans 10 and verse 11, we read it this morning. For the scripture says, everyone who trusts or believes in him will never be put to shame. We trust in Christ, put our faith in Christ. Lastly this morning, two responses. We have two responses. The Bible says in the last verse of this, if you know that he is righteous, you know you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. The first first response to knowing that the judgment is coming, knowing that there will be some who will not receive any rewards and will be ashamed, and there will be some who will receive great rewards and will be confident, knowing those things as a reality, how do we respond to that? Number one is we practice righteousness, right? What does it mean to practice righteousness? Anybody ever practice something before? You practice baseball, you practice basketball, you practice soccer, right? We know what practicing is, right? How many of us practice righteousness? How many of it is our goal? It's like every day I wake up, I got I to go on my run or my walks. I want to make sure that I make it into this event or this event. Or I got to go out and, you know, I got to shoot a thousand shots today because I want to make sure that I make it on the basketball team. Or I, I've got to do this. And, and we do all of these things. We practice all of these things for earthly benefits, Right? Here's what the Lord says. He says, practice righteousness. I think it would be, I don't think we would be too remiss to to conclude that if we were to ask the question of each one of us in here today, including myself, and say, what does it mean to practice righteousness? It'd be hard to give an answer, wouldn't it? What can I be doing to become better at righteousness? Righteousness. He doesn't say to make yourself righteous. He says, practice it. Practice righteousness. Knowing that there's a reward, knowing that there's an end, practice doing what is right. It's like you go up to a person and you know you're going to have a hard time. You're going to practice being kind. You're going to practice being loving. We practice righteousness because we know that there is a reward. 1 Timothy 4, 8 through 10, bodily exercise is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way, as it holds the promise of the present life and also the life that is to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for, the, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on a living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We practice Godliness. And you're familiar with 1 Corinthians nine about uh, Paul putting his body in subjection, having self-control that he might win not a perishable prize, but a imperishable prize or an eternal prize. So we practice righteousness, and then number two, in we purify ourselves. Verse number three of the next chapter says, "Everyone who has this hope in them, everyone who has the hope of eternal life, will purify themselves." It means we'll set themselves apart. And will begin the process of purifying themselves. It, it is so important that we understand that all of these things, if you're a believer this morning, all of the works that you do for Christ, are, they're going to be rewarded. We, we don't do them for the reward. We do them because we love the Lord. Right? We do them because we love the Lord. At, at the same time, these things that we do for the Lord are also evidences that we are the Lord's. They're evidence, if a person says, I'm a Christian, but doesn't practice righteousness, in the next chapter, he says that. A person who says, I'm a Christian, but doesn't practice righteousness, the Lord brings into question whether or not they are truly Christians. But true Christians will practice righteousness, and they will be rewarded in the end. And why we practice righteousness is also important. We practice it for the glory of God and not for the glory of man, not for our glory. And not even, I believe, not even practicing it for reward's sake, although the rewards are there. We get to be blessed. We get to be rewarded. But you know what? Ultimately, the greatest reward that we'll ever receive is being in the presence of our God, amen? And being welcomed into the kingdom. That's the greatest reward that we're ever going to receive, and every believer will receive that reward. But there will be rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, So as we think about in closing this morning, we have an opportunity. Uh, We've been given much. To whom much is given, much is required. We've been given God's Holy Spirit. Um, We've been given the gospel. We've been given forgiveness. We've been set free from the bonds and the power of of sin and, and of Satan. Amen? We have been called to do something with that, to use it for his glory, to display his power to the world around us, we've been called to do that we've been given the opportunity to do that and we've been promised that we will have rewards for doing that so remember this do not walk away this morning thinking if i don't do certain things for god he's going to judge me that is not true if you're a christian this morning your judgment has by god has been satisfied in the person of jesus christ but you can receive rewards and you can evidence and have confidence in the day of judgment and not shrink back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word, for the truths that we have from it. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for the salvation that you've given to us and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray that you will grant us um, the grace to persevere in this life, to do the things that we ought, to practice righteousness, to live um, in purity and to be a display of your grace to us. And we just thank you for who you are and for what you do in Christ's name.